0: I enjoyed the book, but I didn't think it was good. It could be properly subtitled My Life, My Tapes, My
1: Misadventures. He almost seems like someone that's like out of time, not necessarily a 50s
0: guy
2: or a 70s guy. The book does a lot with good and evil that I think is really a great companion with the end of season two.
3: Welcome friends and listeners. Thanks for joining us for another edition of Back to the Double R. This week, we're pressing the pause button on our discussion of Twin Peaks, the television show, to discuss one of the spin-off books, Scott Frost's The Autobiography of FBI Agent Dale Cooper, My Life, My Tapes. This book is out of print, so if you haven't read it and uh, aren't interested in hearing our thoughts, feel free to press stop or fast forward to our next episode in a couple of weeks. That said, we'll try to keep this communique as interesting as possible, even for those who haven't read the book, so feel free to let this tape play out to its end, whether you've read Frost's book or not. I'm Damon, and I am talking into an Orelco B2000 reel-to-reel tape-playing recorder that I received as a Christmas present.
2: Hi, I'm Jennifer, and there are several things I am interested in. The circus, puzzles, and sex.
3: I'm Jonathan, and...
1: I was not prepared for the fact that women, as a general rule, are savages.
0: I'm Colin, and I cannot travel more than 75 feet from the house, which will limit my investigations.
2: My Life, My Tapes is a book of transcriptions of the tapes that Dale Cooper made starting as a young child. The transcripts describe the events of his life, at least intermittently, through his childhood, college years, FBI training, and the events leading up to the beginning of the TV show, the book describes the tragic events that befell him and Caroline in Pittsburgh, as well as his involvement with the Teresa Banks murder investigation and other strange and potentially supernatural happenings in his life, including a mysterious ring and possible run-in with the big bad himself, Bob.
1: Okay, folks. Uh, Jennifer, and I have, will have a couple of production notes here, and it's important to note. Uh, Because this book touches on the Teresa Banks investigation, uh, which is something that you see uh, right at the beginning, actually, of Firewalk With Me, which we will be discussing next week. Uh, if you want to stay, like, totally spoiler-free, you might want to just wait until we do the recording of Firewalk With Me and listen to both of our recordings then. Um, but it'll be, you know, just kind of some clarifications, because the way they treat that investigation is different than what we will see in the film, and we're going to comment on that. So uh, just a fair warning with a bit of spoilers here. Otherwise, yeah. Um, it's important to note that Scott Frost, who is, uh, you know, Warren Frost's son and Mark Frost's brother, both involved with the show. Uh, he also wrote the audiobook Diane, The Twin Peaks Tapes of Agent Cooper, which uh, featured some Grammy nominated narration from Kyle McLaughlin. And, you know, I kind of wonder if that makes him one of the only or few performers to have ever been nominated for an Emmy and Grammy for the same role. Interesting bit of trivia. Uh, that audiobook basically takes off from where uh, the autobiography or the book that we read this week ends. It you know it starts with him kind of coming, you know coming into Twin Peaks and setting up the Laura Palmer investigation. Uh, Damon says it's really kind of like a lot of like a recycled a narration from the show itself, kind of all the Diane tapes that you hear and there, plus some extra stuff. Uh, so that's you know like another sort of project in the same vein that you know is of the novel here that we read. Scott Frost authored them both. And I also think it's interesting that this book was was released in uh, May of 1991, which was after the series was canceled and sort of well into the Wyndham Earl storyline that would have been airing at the point of the book's release. Um we're going to kind of go over, do we think this work is canon or do we think it's not? But, uh, you know, Scott Frost was a part of the writing team and he would have been in the writer's room or at least, you know, had access to some of those conversations. So, you know, uh, I'd like, I think that question of, you know, how true is this to the canon or things like that is one that's going to linger over kind of all the books that we do here. And, you know, it's certainly, you know, you know, since it's kind of coming up, you know, right against Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me, we're going to kind of, I think, talk about how this book like relates that film and all that sort of stuff.
2: And I wanted to add a few other notes to our production notes. Um, Interestingly, there are two different versions of this book, at least. There are two different covers online. One is a Penguin edition that's 240 pages long, and um, there is also a a Pocketbooks edition, and that's the edition I have from May 1991. The Penguin edition might be from a few weeks earlier, at least the date inside the book may perhaps be from April 15th, 1991. So further investigation necessary. and I also wanted to share, for those of you that, that don't have a copy, the May 1991 book. It's, um, it's by Twin Peaks Productions. It's pocketbooks. And on the cover, it says, As Heard by Scott Frost. And my my edition has four pages of ads in the back of the book, which I thought was pretty interesting. And the ads are for Twin Peaks Access Guide to the Town, The Secret Diary of Laura Palmer, Diane, the Twin Peaks Tapes of Agent Cooper, performed by Kyle MacLachlan, which we just talked about. And that was originally released as a collection of cassette tapes and is now actually available on, on Audible. So you can listen to it even if you don't have a cassette deck. And then the final ad is for Twin Peaks Collectible Card Art. And it was 76 cards for 1995 from Star Picks. And those sound really cool to me. Um, <laughs> So and, and then I have some additional production notes that I wanted to share in, in this book. We learned that Dale Cooper attended Haverford College, and I am also an alum of Haverford College, so was looking really closely every time there were references to Haverford in the book. But there's some interesting backstory that I wanted to share that um, there's kind of a alum lore about Twin Peaks. And uh, I did a little bit of research about it today and talked to um, Rebecca Raber, who's the director of news and social media at Haverford. And then she actually reached out to the Haverford archivist, Liz Jones-Minzinger, and they found some some cool stuff for me. So um, In 1991, February 1991, there was an editorial in the by College News, which is the newspaper for Haverford College and Bryn Mawr College, its sister school. And I'm going to read part of this editorial. A few years ago, Pam Sheridan in the College Relations Office at Haverford received a mailing from ABC Television. They wanted the lead character of a new television program to wear a Haverford sweatshirt, and they needed the permission permission of the college. The program was described as Paint and Place meets Blue Velvet, and it was going to be written and directed by a movie director named David Lynch. Well, Pam Sheridan had no idea what the show would be like or what she would be getting Haverford into, and David Lynch had done some pretty weird stuff, so she said no. Now, it's easy for us to look back at that decision and cringe. Agent Cooper wearing a Haverford sweatshirt on Twin Peaks? That would be even better than getting number one in U.S. News and World Report. Poetic justice for a school that doesn't get the attention many feel it deserves. But what if the show had turned out to be the cop, to be cop rock? We probably would have been far less enthusiastic. Both Haverford and Bryn Mawr are well-respected in academic circles, and most of the people who know of the schools think highly of them. But how many people really know about the bi-college community? Um, So, you know, in... It, social media. There's social media groups for Haverford, and there are people to this day who are bitter that Haverford said no and did not allow <laughs> Twin Peaks to um, have Agent Cooper wearing a Haverford sweatshirt. But it's funny to me because you know, after watching the first couple seasons, it's really hard to imagine Dale Cooper wearing a Haverford sweatshirt. We we rarely see him in casual attire, so um, I I think it's fascinating that the production uh wanted to and i'm i'm curious when he would have worn that t-shirt i guess it would have been you know during that period when he was um no longer on the force
1: it's not surprising to me that a college would uh, like say no to that i was in student government when i was at western washington university and like they're all about like protecting the image of the school and i mean like blue velvet like literally has Let's just say some, you know, content that I think even like intellectual college people would be like not wanting to be associated with and seeing as how that was like what Lynch did probably most famously before Twin Peaks. Yeah, I, I'm not surprised, but I get where your, you know, colleagues are saying, oh, like, you we like rue it to this day that we didn't get <laughs> that Cooper in a Haverford sweatshirt. I also did want to mention and I should thank you, Jennifer, because you showed us that openlibrary.org, which I know that's where I read the book. I think, Colin, you may have also used that service to read it, which was like really awesome and easy and super, super convenient. And, like especially for um content like this where it's like literally like just, you know, kind of chunks of like the book at a time, not like you're reading like Tolstoy or like something like, you know, huge. It was cool because you could check it out for an hour at a time and it would like remember where you were so you didn't have to like. You know like oh i'm on which page was i again and scroll through a bunch of crap like no you you picked up like right where you left off it was very very convenient and very very easy very smartphone friendly too
2: that's great i'm glad that worked out i've never used that but yeah this you know like jonathan mentioned this book is very difficult to find so when that happens i i turn to libraries
3: So this week, uh, rather than following our usual format, we're going to have a little bit more of a free-form discussion about the book. Uh, my co-hosts and I have all prepared some questions, and uh, we're just going to have have a bit of a, a chat here at the Twin Peaks Book Club. So um, I'll go ahead and start us off because I've got kind of a top-line question, you might say, um, and just throw out... Um, this to my co-hosts, which is just, did we like the book? Does it feel like it's in the spirit of the show?
2: I enjoyed the book. And I mean, and like I just said, I enjoyed the Haverford references. And so maybe I'll mention some of those right now. Like Dale Cooper talks about um, how he had to go take an art class at Bryn Mawr because the Quakers at Haverford didn't allow nude models, which I thought was ridiculous because the book some of, so the Haverford, Haverford and Bryn Mawr people take issue with the Haverford Bryn stuff in the book saying it's not accurate. Um, and, and it makes it sound like Quakers are prudes and they don't allow new models and Quakers are actually not prudes, <laughs> you know, it's a very liberal religion. Um, so when I talked to my, my folks at Haverford, they, they actually found references to nude models being allowed in classes in 1973 so that that is something in the book that's wrong like there would have been nude models um and there would not have been football at the time because Haverford had just canceled football in 1972 because of lack of interest so that's part of what I enjoyed is like you know figuring out if some of the Haverford stuff was right
1: I like this book um, You know, I was kind of set up by you, Damon, for it to be like, you know, because you said you don't think it's really good. I mean, I'm not going to say it. this is like on par with like some of the best Twin Peaks stuff like the pilot or, you know, the, uh, the episode we just discussed or, you know, arbitrary law or any of those. But it was, you know, to me, like, you know, it like it felt like Twin Peaks, right? It felt like it was Cooper um and, and you know i don't know how they like divvied up the responsibilities between the writers and the writers room but i think it was re- like really clear that like scott frost was like probably one of the guys that's like hey you know you're going to be the cooper guy right because it's it, it like it seems very consistent with like the voice of the character in fact almost too consistent i thought that like some of the stuff where he's like you know 13 or 14 years old sounded maybe a little too grown up <laughs> uh, um, but um you know otherwise especially for someone like me who is like seen all the shows and watched the movies like any of this ancillary stuff that came out in the early 90s that you can't really get your hands on uh it was a treat to kind of like go in and like read this and you know they pull like so many things from here that like show up in like the third season either inadvertently or accidentally or who knows what so so it was it seemed very much of a piece with like kind of you know what we're reading and I thought it was like the perfect bridge from end of season two into the movie, which we're going to discuss next week. I was thrilled to like, I'm like, Oh, this is perfect timing.
0: I liked the book too. And I liked it more than I expected to. Um, I found the, uh, the early parts of the book where we're encountering young Dale Cooper um, to be sort of uh, charming in those, uh, you know, Uh, hyper-intelligent, precocious youth kind of uh, sub-genres, you know, not exactly Holden Caulfield, but, you know, kind of of one of these uh, characters who is uh, trying too hard um, and sort of overcompensating in some ways and trying to get a in one life by locking things down and you know seven or eight times in those early pages he says i now have everything i need to uh prepare for what's to come and then immediately after you know he's been completely unprepared for what's to come and that was that was enjoyable um and as things got kind of uh hinkier and weirder and took kind of darker twists as the as the uh story unspooled, I thought um I it felt like it both was and was not being you know kind of true to the show but um but on the whole I was uh, uh you know I really enjoyed it and and that mattered uh quite a bit.
1: Yeah Colin I'm with you and I think the sort of like Cooper's almost sort of like an encyclopedia Brown, mm-hmm. like one of those type of characters. Like all this stuff with him as a kid, I enjoy it a lot more than like, as the book was getting more into like, Oh, here's his relationship with Caroline Earle and Wyndham. I mean, stuff that, you know, you kind of have already heard. Right. But like, you know, that to me was like really easy just to kind of power through and get it. But I was like really fascinated by, you know, Cooper as a, you know, like a teenager, like, a, you know, the 13 year old kid, we meet at the start of the book that I think was the strongest writing and like the stuff that kind of piqued my interest the most.
3: So I'm going to stake out a sort of contradictory position here and say that I enjoyed the book, but I didn't think it was good. And what I mean by that is um, I thought, so there was, um, as, as somebody already said, I think it, it, it does do a fairly good job of capturing Cooper's voice. And it was nice to get a little piece of um sort of Twin Peaks storytelling that I hadn't already immersed myself in several times. So just, you know, the freshness of finding this out of print book was, was kind of cool, but on the whole um, I felt that it was pretty contrived. Um, You know, with the Laura Palmer diary, there's like a reason that this document exists with this book. There was no sense of like why these tapes would have been compiled or by whom, um, and I couldn't like I couldn't put together any narrative in my head that would make sense as far as that goes. Um, I felt like they also just tried too hard to explain a lot of um, Cooper's personality quirks. It was like every little weird thing he did in the show they tried to create some kind of explanation for in his history. And that just felt kind of hackneyed to me. Um, and uh, I guess I'll just conclude by saying, you know, I kind of felt like they, the, the, the Laura Palmer diary was so great, you know, and I felt like it seemed like they were trying to catch that lightning in a bottle again. And it just couldn't live up to the Laura Palmer diary, which I thought was so great. And maybe I'm being unfair because I'm making this comparison, but I just thought, the Laura Palmer diary, like really made a substantive contribution to the mythos of the show and our understanding of the character. And this just fell flat for me.
0: I can definitely see that. And I, uh, you know, when I was reading, I, um, I kind of had a sense uh, more than once of like, Oh, we're reverse engineering Dale Cooper. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, sure. Sure, that's, that's fun. But every time they did it, it does become like a thinner product. It, it becomes more like a novelty piece rather than a, uh, a, a, a substantive contribution um, like uh, The Diary of Laura Palmer. Um, that was so integral to the show so integral to the to the storytelling even if yeah even if even if uh lynch had this kind of backstory in his mind when he conjured up dale cooper and he may well have um it doesn't it 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 doesn't sort of penetrate the ethos of the purpose of the story in the same way.
2: Well, and, and some of the backstory they must've had in mind, you know, if, if they contacted Haverford college, asking for him to wear a Haverford t-shirt or sweatshirt. And we don't learn that he went to Haverford until we read this book. So there must've been some of that backstory written somewhere.
1: Yeah. I thought to, you know, for one, like Laura Palmer's diary, that's a character that we know nothing about on the show. You don't know like Laura's personality or things like that. Whereas Cooper, you kind of like know all of it. And, you know, I don't need to know like why he likes coffee and pie so much. I mean, I can just sort of accept that as, you know, face value when I'm watching the show, I don't need like a book to tell me, you know, Oh, he, you know, went on like a road trip with like these chicks that were going to uh, the Pentagon and like drank a bunch of coffee and really liked it. Right. Like, okay. You know, that's interesting, but it's not integral. Uh, so so I think in a lot of ways, like maybe Scott Frost is working from a bit of a, a disadvantage or perhaps like, you know, needing to fill, you know, audience expectations. Uh, uh, but I do think, you know, in terms of like the quality of the writing, uh, Jennifer Lynch's work is much, much better than Scott Frost's work here. And I mean, that's objective, right? And just because someone is a better writer doesn't necessarily, you know, make you a worse person for like, you know, liking a different book better or whatever. It's just two different styles.
0: That's right. It's two different styles and two profoundly different characters, too. I mean, uh, you know, the objective of trying to uh, create a, a, a viable, vivid backstory for Dale Cooper is is kind of a complex narrative challenge because he is so buttoned down and he is so by the numbers, you know, so. So I I think that there were some interesting constraints. I think that Scott Frost achieved some interesting things here. I kept feeling like, okay, this is a version, um, but it sort of felt more like it, it, it felt more
3: like fanfic to me. That's exactly what I was going to say is like, I, I feel like, if not fanfic and this isn't necessarily a critique of of Scott Frost, right? Because he had the project that he had, right? Yeah. But nor fanfic. Right. Nor fanfic. Um but but whereas you know the the Laura Palmer diary felt really like emotionally honest and substantive, this book really felt like fan service to me.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There was there was Um, more going on i think between the uh uh between the the author and the material in that um in in the in laura palmer's diary and this was more of a uh a contrivance um you know an entertainment um i will say in defense of uh audio tapes and One's young personality. Um, I do have boxes of audio cassettes from interviews and things that I did from long, long ago uh, that I have not listened to, including some on a micro recorder that I don't know if it if it still works. Um, you know, uh, so you know, i could I could uh, I could dig those out and, you know, listen to uh myself as a 20 something interviewing you know this person or that person the other thing uh that this kind of reminded me of this discussion reminded me of was that that i found a um a letter that i had uh written to my father uh in i think my my second year of college and i just sort of narrated my day for him and one thing that was really fun about that was that I uh, all the friends that I talked about running into are still friends of mine, which was really cool. But that's a side note. But it's but it was interesting to me how much I sounded like myself. And even at that, you know, young age, I already had kind of a an uh, written voice um, and and that kind of surprised me. I, I thought I would, you know, barely even recognize myself. So maybe there is something to this notion that uh, that young Dale Cooper was super square.
2: So I, I think it's really important that we've been talking about if the structure of the book worked for us and if we feel like you know, we're forming an emotional connection with, with Dale Cooper in the book. And, and I do think it's a lot different from the Laura Palmer diary in that respect. Um, but regardless of, of whether we think the book is artful or not, I I think there's a lot of really interesting juice in there. And, and Damon, you know, has talked a lot about how Twin Peaks is really a story about trauma. And as I was reading this autobiography, we see a lot of instances of trauma in Dale Cooper's past. So just wanted to Ask that As my question for all of you, if you think after reading this autobiography, do you think that Dale Cooper's life is also defined by trauma?
1: I don't know if I'd go so far as to say his life is defined by trauma, but I think that like it's interesting this book presents sort of a lot of, you know, like I think a lot of Cooper's curiosities and natural sort of inclinations towards like observation and precociousness like end up sort of becoming, you know, disastrous or like traumatic situations for him. I think the part that I was sort of most like struck by or most surprised by in the book is when um, the the bit with his uh, next door neighbor Marie ends and like, you know, they have the (laughs) This like you can tell a man wrote this book because like he's getting a blowjob as like firecrackers are going off from this girl who had like converted to like, you know, born-again Christianity. And then like two pages later, it's like, well, then she died by drowning. And and I'm like, whoa, you know, I didn't, you know, that was kind of a twist I didn't expect to see coming. And, um, you know, there's, like, several instances where, like, you know, sort of Cooper has an encounter with a woman or a female that, like, ends in, like, disaster or, you know, tragedy or, you know, not the way that he wanted it to end up. And, you know, I think, you know, to me it was sort of... You know, if we're gonna go with the reverse engineering aspect of things, right? Like it was, it was kind of interesting to see how those pieces fit together in regards to say, like how he views his relationship with Audrey in the show, right? Because if we were to believe that, okay, you know, like there's all these sort of backstories kicking around, or there, like he, like he comes at it with a more mature, with a more mature perspective when it comes to Audrey, right? He's like, you know, I'm not gonna get involved because I've had so many traumatic relationships, and like I know maybe the you know, sort of, you know, you know how to balance my feelings and my job and my desires. So it was nice to get, like, some of that backstory, right? Because, you know, you some of those reasons, at least when you first watch the show, aren't necessarily fleshed out. Or, like, when he gets into his relationship with Annie, right? They don't really, you know, they don't go into the psychology of, like, what's going on with Cooper. And so I think this, you know, does a nice job of sort of filling in some of those gaps with the
3: character. Well, and I think it explains why or at least is in keeping with the fact that he has such a, um, you know, impenetrable exterior for so much of the show, right. He's, because he's had um, a lot of traumatic experiences, you know, he's kind of learned to build this protective wall around himself where, you know, the, the version of Dale Cooper that's on display to the general public uh, throughout you know, the two seasons of the show, I think is very guarded, you know, um, even with um, I w- well, I would say even with his closest friends, although I guess he doesn't, hasn't known anybody for more than a couple months that we see him interact with on the show besides uh, Albert and, uh, and uh, his boss, but um, you know, he definitely keeps himself to himself. And I think that is how a lot of people respond to those kinds of um, traumatic situations.
0: Yeah, I buy that. That's it that's that's an interesting uh response uh to a good question. I I think one of the things that kind of kind of didn't work uh, this is funny. I have a I have a I have a plus minus plus kind of situation here. By which I mean uh you know, I enjoyed reading the book um and Yet I found some of the traumas that he was going through, and this is an answer to your question, Jennifer, some of the traumas that he was going through um, were, uh, you know, sort of resonant and grounded and made sense and kind of started to really flesh out the character. But then they were mixed with, some things that seemed much more uh, artificial and uh you know scary visions and and things like that i was uh i was sort of on board with the idea that um cooper's mother has uh some sort of sight or some sort of intuition and that this is part of what drives cooper uh to Um, To do what he does and to value intuition as he does Um, And some of the things that were bubbling up Were sort of too silly by half Kind of maybe related to those absurdist elements That we talked about in the show That kind of didn't go anywhere Like we didn't really have to go off on this adventure To sort of get something out of it And then by the same token, I found myself thinking, yeah, but you know, life really does have some weird ass things that happen in it. And I have had some coincidences happen to me that you would find utterly implausible if I (laughs) were pitching them in a book. So, you know, so I don't know where, where I end up with that, um, but uh but, I think it's a great question i think uh and I think Damon, your answer is is a good one, and I hadn't really thought about cooper in in that context until this book so so thank you
2: yeah i i think I think you're right. I mean, the book is a mixture of of things as far as um uh, <laughs> things that are more whimsical and you know as far as the trauma, there's definitely a lot of kind of misadventures in love. Uh, But I was also really struck by the amount of death that Dale Cooper experiences at a young age. Like early Mm -hmm. in the book, he sees a dead body, then his mom dies. And like Jonathan mentioned, Marie dies, Marie drowns soon after they have sex. Um, And then, you know, while he's a student at Haverford, he finds a woman who was beaten and stabbed and you know he seems really traumatized by that. It even puts him in the infirmary. He becomes physically ill days after days after um seeing this woman and he had sensed that something was awry when he was walking around and he sensed that the killer was was still there um so that I thought that was a very intriguing part of the narrative um amidst you know, amidst all the other, I mean, there's a whole, a whole bunch of other things, you know, there's a patient at the county hospital who he's become close with, who ends up dying after wounding herself. Um, He has another girlfriend who turns out to be an arsonist, and they have sex in the car, and that leads to an accident. And then that same girlfriend goes mad and doesn't know Dale, at at which point Dale thinks that he's cursed. Um, So, so yeah, you think about the Dale that we see in Twin Peaks, and he's still carrying that with him. This idea that that he is cursed, that these kind of misfortunate things continue to follow him.
0: Yeah, the um, that that notion of uh, him feeling cursed, it's kind of uh, between the lines through a lot of the book, but then he mentions it, and that is that is something that kind of resonates with uh you know the character that we that we see in the show (laughs) misadventures is a is a hilarious way to uh, describe all the things that happen in this book I I think it it could be uh properly subtitled my life my tapes my misadventures um (laughs) but it's very Dickensian in that way right (laughs) that's right that's
2: And he's like so much more sex charged than we kind of realize in Twin Peaks. Like, in fact, he's sort of is doubting his decision to go to all male Haverford because he's so sex crazed, which I also thought was hilarious. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. And that's where, well, and I have a couple of questions sort of along those, those lines too, sort of where this, um, where this story might, uh, you know, kind of fit in, in literary traditions. Um, But as regards the sort of the number of incidents in the book where Dale has a a scrape with death, not everybody has that, but a lot of us have a couple of stories that we have encountered um, either in our own lives or from someone close to us that do have kind of a, a, a chilling and a resonant effect. You know, in my case, um, you know, there were a couple stories that my dad told me about things that had happened in his life. Um, not like these misadventures, but, you know, other things that, that, um, you know, were, were a question of life and death. And there are a couple Uh, In my own life. And, you know, if you if you added them all up, I'm I'm not sure that there would be a whole lot more in this book than in, you know, than the ones that I sort of think inhabit my my narrative. Um, So, you know, I keep going back and forth between this book feeling, (laughs) you know, completely, completely contrived. And then I I find myself arguing uh, for the defense against myself and
1: saying, meh, meh, meh. probably, I don't know, two-thirds of the way through the book, it gets really involved with like, you know, when he meets Wyndham Earl and kind of, you know, first first it's you know Caroline's kidnapping, and then Wyndham goes missing. And so, you know, you there's a lot of stuff in regard to that. And so Cooper at one point says. I find my ability to give aid and comfort greatly lacking, which I think is sort of completely contrary to the Cooper that we see in Twin Peaks. You know, when we, you know, see him with Audrey, right. When she comes into his bedroom uh, and she's in his bed, I mean, he's, you know, he could have be like rude or dismissive, but he's very, very compassionate. I mean, when he, you know, when Sheriff Truman goes through kind of like his, you know, morose after, you know, Josie dies, like he's, you know, there for him with a, you know, compassionate sense. And even, you know, as Leland dies, right. You know, we spent a whole pod talking about like how compassionate and, you know, transformative that experience was. So, you know, I guess, you know, the question I'm going to ask here, does, you know, the book, do enough to show how Cooper has grown in sort of like in the book gives it about like 10 years between the Earl case and Laura Palmer's murder? If not, you know, how can we sort of fill in the blanks here? Because, you know, I think the Cooper we see in the show and the Cooper we see in this book are two different people. So how do we sort of track his growth?
3: There's a part of me that wonders, uh, you know, if some some piece of this might be a little bit of an unreliable narrator situation. Um, You know, we know that Cooper holds himself to a very high and very exacting standard. And so, you know, when he says that he finds his ability to give aid and comfort greatly lacking, well, I mean, seeing what we see of him over the first two seasons of the show, I would imagine that his standard for what is not lacking in that department is extremely high. Um, So, so I wonder here if he's, he's, um, not giving himself enough credit or not like painting a full picture of the good things that he does uh, because he also, you know, isn't a guy who is the first one to jump up and take credit for things either. Um, And so I could imagine, you know, if Dale Cooper is making tapes that are just for personal, you know, reflection that he might focus on areas where he thinks he's fallen short rather rather than on places where he thinks he's done a really good job.
0: Yeah, we do. We do tend to be our own worst critic. Um, Well, at least those of us who aren't sociopaths or psychopaths. But um, uh, but here in this pod, and uh, I'm sure all of our listeners, um, you know, it's very easy to uh, see shortcomings in yourself that others um, don't perceive or don't perceive in the same way and um you know there's an there's there's an extent to which the cooper that we see in the tv show knows himself very well he's still fallible and makes mistakes um and and makes uh mistakes of judgment in his professional life um and uh you know, <laughs> uh, encourages Annie to get into the uh, Miss Twin Peaks contest, which uh, may have been a quite a tragic uh, error in judgment. Um, but what the book does well, I think, is show uh, a series of snapshots of a character trying to uh, know himself trying to know his limits trying to know what works and what doesn't work and that um, sort of underneath the contrivance that did kind of ring true for me and I think that is part of what that literary subgenre is about you know the mistakes that we make between 13 and and 22 um, which are <laughs> plentiful and often ugly. <laughs>
2: we i i chuckled at the beginning of the book when he has to look up what nirvana is because you know we the dale cooper we know is all about eastern religion and meditation and that seems to bring him comfort and and we start to see some of that towards the end of the book and there's there's such a great part where he says the tv test pattern clears his mind like a tibetan prayer wheel which i love. i'm fascinated by sort of um Broadcast and and what um you know what is the mythology surrounding broadcast technology, um, but also I was going to say I I think um Damon I like your idea about you know him being an unreliable narrator and we are often our you know own worst critics for sure, and and we and and I also so I think that's part of it. I also think that the death of Carolyn hit him in a different way than these other prior traumas and. And we see some of that in the book where he talks about kind of not knowing who he is. Um, He says, I don't know who I am. We search and search and always end up looking into the same mirror at the same reflection, hoping that we will find something different. And of course, like that mirror seems important because, you know, later – you know, at the end of season two, he's looking in the mirror and then we see Bob. So it's like, oh my God, this is premonition. Like, does he really not know himself or is that himself? But we know it's not, it's a doppelganger. Um, so, so yeah, I think that I think that the trauma maybe is worse with Caroline and I also think that we're seeing some of his growth as far as, you know, Eastern religion giving him some comfort.
1: Yeah, like it's funny with the Caroline stuff, like, I thought that was, like, some of the weakest parts of the book. Like, I think it really kind of relies on, like, oh, you've seen the show and kind of know this to make it seem like why it's so important versus, like, say, his relationship with Marie when, like, that trauma felt, like, very, very real, right? Whereas, like, you know, like I'm like, I don't really understand, you know, why you and, you know, what the attraction is to Caroline aside from he observes, oh, she's, like, a very, you know, beautiful woman or she's very compassionate or, you know, he like, he's telling us. He's not showing us, right? But I also, you know, like, I can't... know part of the stuff with cooper that really tripped me up was like there's a couple of scenes like when he gets into his english class and he like corrects the you know the grammar on like the teacher's syllabus or when he goes in to like the fbi and he has to like show up the you know the agent by you know getting higher marksmanship i'm like i'm like that doesn't seem to be you know the cooper that we know right he's confident he's you know good at his job but he's not like performatively arrogant or he's not like a a, you know sort of the little head in a class that like, like, is the know-it-all answer guy, which I kind of got like a little bit from here. You're just like, man, this guy does not seem to like get out of his own way very, very well. So, you know, like, I don't know if the book did enough for me to like show that transformation or it's, you know, kind of like relying on you to take what you know from the show and take what you've read here and kind of, you know, make up some stuff in your own mind.
2: Yeah. You know, I kind of agree. I wish that Some of these descriptions, like I had to go back and reread something because later in the book, he talks about um, these times that were especially um, uh, intense for him as far as, you know, coming face to face with evil. And he mentions the time he was at Haverford, and that's when he discovered this woman who had been murdered. Um, And I feel like considering like how intense an experience that was for him there could have been a lot more to it. And maybe this would have been a better book if we had had more time devoted to some of these really pivotal moments rather than trying to cover, what is it? 10 years of his life and on, on more of a surface Uh level. Um, But another part of this, um, you know, could be sort of the difference between autobiography and diary and male autobiography versus female diary and, I actually took a class in college where we were sort of looking at that. And I remember reading my grandfather's memoirs and being disappointed that there wasn't more emotional stuff in there. It was more about sort of like what I did, my achievements, um, which is like very stereotypical of, of a male story of a male life is like, this is what I've achieved. Um, versus, you know, female women, you know, are more likely to, and this is like, I'm talking in very broad general terms, obviously, but. um, Sure. But, you know, there might be more about um, relationships and emotions. So I wonder if some of that is at play too.
1: Yeah, I think that's a pretty good perspective and kind of answers maybe one of the, you know, the questions I had about their you know, our two diarists, right? I think Cooper's is very much an account of like, Oh, here's my accomplishments. I was an Eagle Scout. I, you know, you know, you know, took this, you know, cross country trip that I didn't tell my parents about. I went to college, right. Versus I think Laura's diary is very more psychological, emotional, and, you know, more dreamlike.
0: I think a couple of us have uh, gotten close to articulating an idea that I didn't uh, articulate for myself, um, which was that I think that final third of the book, you guys are all correct. It goes so quickly. It is sort of so thin and it, um, it is, it is such a pencil sketch. You know, we skip over whole big chunks because it's quote unquote classified. And I can sort of see like, I can imagine myself as Scott Frost, like two nights before, you know, the draft is due saying like, well, we're just gonna, <laughs> we're just gonna say those six years didn't happen. Don't have time to, to get to it. And, um, and I think you're right, Jennifer. I think, I think there was an opportunity to do a bunch more and um, it could have uh, been a a richer uh, experience overall um, and, and gotten a little bit more into um, some of those pivotal things that happened later in life.
3: Well, and the gaps to coming back to, you know, sort of the point that I was making earlier about this being sort of an attempt to recapture the magic of the Laura Palmer diary. It's like in the Laura Palmer diary, there's these gaps there's a reason for them right They're the the pages that have been ripped out we see it happen in the show here it just it it feels a little lazy to me right it's like we just didn't want to write about this part or the book was getting too long or like it's meant to feel mysterious or you know it's just like we didn't need to repeat that like gaps in the narrative thing from the laura palmer diary here and i wish
2: that we hadn't i totally agree i thought that was i thought that was hokey
3: I thought
1: it could have also been maybe that they're like, oh, perhaps like had the show gone, you know, three or four or more seasons, like oh, maybe this is backstory that is like yet to be revealed. I kind of maybe thought that could have been coming into play here too, but yeah, either, but you know, we didn't need the gaps, right? You could have told me that like, you know, because it goes sometimes, I think there's like, what, like, it jumps like, you know, 18 months, then like three years, then a whole bunch of time, you just could have put the dates and I would have been like, oh, okay, they didn't choose to include whatever recordings he did, he didn't need to justify like one way. This is
3: part of the contrivance too, right? Is like, who's put these recordings together? And why? And for whom? There's, there's no explanation of that. Whereas in the Laura Palmer diary, it's a diary. Here, it's like, Somebody has compiled all these tapes for some reason and made editor's notes to help stitch them together. But there's no sense of who did that or who the audience for this is meant to be. And that's, that's part of what rubs me the wrong way about this and makes it feel really contrived.
0: Well, I mean, I think it's in the title, right? This is, you know, an effort at autobiography, which has, you know exclusions that sometimes point to <laughs> things one wishes to conceal um, but it isn't really but it isn't done in any more than the title and and so it seems it 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 seems very alienated from the authenticity of the other book
2: yeah, it's weird it's as told to Scott Frost that it's Scott Frost find these tapes and then put together yeah it. I I think this is back to something Damon was saying early on. Like, why, why does this exist?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think a lot of the questions that you guys have brought up are things that I wanted to raise too. But one of my, one of my questions, I think kind of threads through some of these conversations and I want to pose it in an unusual way, uh, which is sort of to say, and, and I'll explain why, uh, which is to say is, do we, do we think Dale Cooper is a child of the fifties or a child of the seventies? And part of the reason I ask that is because, uh, you know, Lynch uh, is, is clearly a, a child of the fifties who had interesting experiences in the seventies. Um, and you know, the Cooper that we sort of first see this button down FBI agent uh, turns out to then have these, uh, you know, um, experiences with Eastern mysticism and and uh, for lack of a better word, magic. Um, and, uh, you know, so I, I think that there's an interesting tension there. And I, I would be curious if you saw that um in in those terms uh and and what you thought about it
1: you know to answer your question um did you guys see the movie judas and the black messiah that came out like this past you know holiday season it's about um you know like the fbi spying on fred hampton and all that sort of right, stuff right so there's a character in there played by joseph gordon levitt who's like you know a real square fbi agent like you know squarely in the vein of like a dale cooper although not like weird. Right. Just like square cock kind of a dude. And like, it's, it's so weird to me that like they play up like from a young age that Cooper wanted to be an FBI agent. And like my stepfather is in law enforcement and like those guys who like choose that career almost seem like, like out of time. Right. Because you get sort of the sense of Cooper that, like, he's an observer. He's not necessarily a a participant of, like, some of this, you know, know, the stuff that goes on. And they mentioned like, several events in this book, like, uh, you know, the Martin Luther King assassination, Mm -hmm. the the RFK assassination, uh, you know, kind of like that whole little, like, you know, van trip that he goes on where he meets the two women that are going to go chain themselves to the Pentagon. So you get, like you know like it's almost like cooper is out of time and perhaps you know maybe you need to be like one of those type of people to you know to get a career in like law enforcement or to become an fbi guy you know because they i mean they scour your past and you got to go through all this sort of stuff uh, um so it, like he almost seems like someone that's like out of time to me like not necessarily a 50s guy or a 70s guy but like Like, oh, I'm going to choose to be like a law enforcement guy, which almost means, you know, I need to take like a step back and be an observer or like I can't get too involved because that might compromise some of my like moral integrity, which you know I felt a lot throughout this book that, you know, he's like he wants to be a participant, but yet he doesn't at the same time, like a lot of that tension.
2: I, I was I like that idea of being out of time. And I mean, my first thought was that, you know, you read some books and there's so many I mean, you you. Jonathan, you mentioned a bunch of things that took place in the 70s that place it in time, but I think a lot of the book feels like there's no time, um, you know, like his descriptions of life at college, um, you know, it's, there's nothing really making it seem like it's the 1970s versus any other time in college, like, I mean, there's some mention of drugs, so maybe that's more 1970s, but, um, but to me, it's, it has like a very generic feeling to it Um, we don't have pop culture references and but again like this is perhaps true to dale cooper and what he would be narrating if he's this more kind of you know narrow straight ahead kind of guy just the facts largely then maybe that makes sense that we're not getting the color of the 70s
3: well and i think you know there's two different ways that you could read this. One is that like, well, you know, it's lazy writing and doesn't feel of its place in time. But the other way that you could read it, the more generous way um, is that, you know, much of Twin Peaks feels that way too. Um, Is that, you know, is it the fifties? Is it the nineties? Is it the eighties? It's kind of all mashed together, right? Um, And that's true in terms of both sort of the um, aesthetics, but also some of the personalities um, so, I mean, in that sense, um, you know, maybe that, maybe that's a good fit with what we see in the show, um, where, where, you know, lots of things kind of feel taken out of time or, um, like they'd be an, like, they're anachronistic, but like, maybe they'd be anachronistic at any time. Um, and I think Cooper is that too. So, um, so in that sense, you know, is he a child of the fifties? Is he a child of the seventies? Yes.
0: <laughs> well, and I, uh, of course, I think um, you know there isn't there isn't a definitive answer uh, uh, one way or the other. Um, I like yes as an answer. Um, there's actually a uh, a really interesting uh, book, uh, an academic book called uh, "From Counterculture to Cyberculture," if I recall correctly, um, and it it demonstrates. the argument over the course of the book is really interesting that the counterculture arose from a reaction to um, post-war sort of clamping down on individualism and express, uh, you know, sort of self-expression, you know, during the war, a lot of uh, smart people were engaged in interesting projects, Uh, uh, you know, especially scientists and people who were starting to do things in very early computing and television, sonar, you know, all sorts of interesting stuff. And the kind of, you know, the clamp down on that expression actually has a direct line to the explosion of the counterculture, uh, in the sixties, which in turn gave rise to the cyber culture of the nineties. And we still see it kind of ping ponging back and forth even today. Um, you know, where, uh, you know, our, our fame, you know, one of our, Uh, Richest billionaires is yet another famous dropout from yet another famous uh, Ivy league school. Um, You know, so there's this, there's this interesting uh, relationship between the button down fifties and the loose and electrified uh, experiential 60s and 70s and um, i think cooper is one of the few characters on television who kind of captures both of those things and brings them together in a way that um you know you can you can sort of see plausibly how somebody would land in that unusual uh punnett square
1: well and you know one thing that you know i've always you know noticed about cooper is he's not like judgmental. Right. I mean, you know, some of these guys who end up being like cops or in law enforcement or whatever, it's like, Oh, Hey, I want to beat up that stupid hippie. Or like, you know, they, like it's like, it's something that they like morally hate or that they're, that they're against, or, you know, something that's like really driving. them. and, uh, and I think this narrative makes clear that it's, that it's almost like a function of like Cooper's like natural sort of curiosity and like sort of, you know, wanting to like solve mysteries that he you know wants to pursue the life of an FBI agent. So like, you never see him be like, Oh, well, like the way they raised people in the fifties sucked. And like, we do it better now, or he's never like, Oh, like, you know, God, those like smelly hippies from the sixties. Like I couldn't stand those guys. He's like, he sort of takes everything as it is. Right. He's not like, you know passing judgment or you know you know like issuing a, a condemnation he's you know he's kind of floating out in the ether man, and kind of takes it all in at all you know at all times
2: well i mean he's definitely of the 70s as far as the tape recorder i have to get that in there like you know sure. he wouldn't have had a portable tape recorder in the 50s like tape when people first start getting tape recorders that was a big deal um but also, we haven't talked about um, the fact that he was really interested in going and being a part of the traveling circus. And <laughs> when he's rejected by the traveling circus, he decides to accept <laughs> Haverford's offer to go to college. So, you know, it would be great to have more of that because clearly, you know, clearly there's a lot going on there that is not developed at all. That um, that he has this intrigue with uh, this this magical circus life too. And I don't know what period of time the circus would be. I mean, I guess the circus is pretty timeless. It's perennial. Yeah.
3: Yeah. So one more thing I want to make sure we talk about before we kind of wind down uh, for this episode is the ways that this book interfaces with Firewalk With Me, which we'll be talking about next time. By the time this book came out, the chances for a third season of Twin Peaks were, you know, slim and none, um, although from what I've read uh, online, it sounds like you know, the original sort of impetus for this book was to sort of fire people up for a, for a third season um, or you know, act as a bridge between a second and third season. So the question that I would pose is, how well do we feel this book works as a bridge between the show and Fire Walk With Me? Might it have worked better as a bridge to a third season? Does it give us any hints about what a third season might have looked like? Uh, Does it work well to sort of guide us into uh, our discussion of the film?
1: This is a perfect introduction into the film. Uh, um, Like for one, they cover like a lot of the Teresa Banks ground, which in this book you should take as like non-canonical, because I am going to go with the film version of the events where we see Chet Desmond and uh, Sam and Deer Meadow, and we'll discuss a lot more about that when we get into the movie. But um, I also think that like one theme that like I was really surprised to read in the autobiography is like there's must have been like at least three dozen instances where you know Cooper talking into his tapes mentions electricity. And I was just like, and and it, it, like, especially given like how important that has become, even to the third season of Twin Peaks. Um, like, I like that Frost, you know, manages to like weave in those themes, and he even writes on uh, one of the entries here. It's from when he's, you know, you know, actually like, you know, got Diane as the secretary, and he's, you know, making a recording. He says, Diane. I have just woken from a dream that I fear is far more than random synapses discharging electrodes into my subconscious. Right. So they're even like priming you to get like, you know, to make the connection between electricity and the dream world. And I mean, there's, I mean, that's not the only time that they make, you know, sort of that sort of comparison in the, you know, in this text here. So, you know, when like, it's like, it's crazy that we read this now because I'd never read it or didn't know what to expect, but you know, seeing like that theme brought up, I'm like, okay, I'm ready for fire walk with me now.
0: I think it puts uh, an interesting light on um, the relationship between
2: uh,
0: Cooper and Gordon Cole and sort of the culture of the Philadelphia office. Um, The uh you know the stories that um you know kind of spill together there where things um you know start to uh the the strange happenings you know cooper Cooper brings his dream to Gordon and shortly thereafter we see uh you know the strange things happening with Agent Jeffries and and I think that this does a good job kind of building into that and I can sort of imagine a, 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 a sort of a, an a historical season three you know a season three without the cancellation um, that uh, would have brought more of Cooper's um, uh, you know, his his mystical side forward. Um, I don't know what they might or might not have done with him being trapped in the Black Lodge or if that would have lasted, you know, uh, for much of the season or if he would have gotten out. I mean, it, it'll be interesting to speculate and I can't wait to dig into season three. Um, but, you know, I could sort of see them moving some pieces around, but I also get the feeling I don't know. I get the feeling that that the the book is compromised uh in part because of what we knew was happening as uh the show was getting shut down.
2: I I think it is a really interesting bridge between season 2 and Firewalk with me. Um I the book we haven't talked a lot about this, but the book does a lot with good and evil that I think is really a great companion with the end of season 2. Um, Mm -hmm. and then when we move into Teresa Banks, that kind of ties, ties in with all of that. And he talks about with the Teresa Banks murder, um, that he senses an evil that's old and very dangerous. And that makes me think a lot of what we saw on Twin Peaks season one and two, like we know that there's this very old and dangerous evil in the town. And we learn more about that throughout season two. Um, and so I think that, um yeah it's helping to prime us for kind of delving into this more in in fire walk with me
1: i think the other thing that's important especially in regard to kyle mclaughlin and cooper is that he didn't really want to be in Firewalk with me and he's not in Firewalk with me for very very much There's mm-hmm. very very little of cooper in the film so you know, I do kind of like that we get a whole bunch about him here because, you know, he's really not a character in the movie. You know, we spend time with pretty much everyone else aside from him. So it's nice to sort of, you know, get this last chunk of Cooper stuff before we move into a narrative that really
3: doesn't involve him at all. What what I kind of like about this, um, you know, the Teresa Bank stuff in the diary is it, it gives us a, a chance to imagine what it would have been like for Cooper to be investigating that case. Um True. Which is which is sort of like, I mean, my understanding is what was originally intended for for the film. I won't go deep down that that path because you know I'm sure we'll be talking about that when we talk about Fire Walk with Me next time. Um, but it's it's kind of fun to imagine him um, being part of that investigation. And you know, it's I guess kind of implied on the show that he was, but it's never stated explicitly that he was really involved with the Teresa Banks investigation. He just, he knows a lot about it. Right. Um, and he can see parallels between that and what happened to Laura Palmer. But, you know, we never get like a, um, like a solid answer one way or the other, whether, whether or not he was part of that. And, you know, as we'll see, um, you know, Chad Desmond ends up being the, the main character there. Um, but I think that was more to do with interpersonal dynamics at the time than um, you know, creative, uh, creative intent on Lynch's part.
1: I do think the film is better
3: for having Chad
1: Desmond in those scenes, but we'll save it for that part. Right? Right.
3: All right, folks. Before we wrap up, uh, as usual, we've got uh, a question to discuss that's a little bit off the beaten path. And uh, if you listen to our um, Secret Diary of Laura Palmer uh, episode, you will maybe know what this is. I think uh, I'm going to pose this question to the group after we discuss each of the books. Um, And so before we wrap up for a couple of weeks and rejoin you on December 2nd, the question that I have for my co-hosts is, is this book canon? Is it proper Twin Peaks? Do we care about the answer to that question? Does that matter?
2: I have to answer from a Haverford perspective again. It is canon because Dale Cooper. <laughs> we embrace him as an as an alumnus of our fair college. And if this autobiography did not exist, I don't think we would know that he went to Haverford. So that's my that's my answer.
3: I guess I'll go next. Um, I'm going to have to say absolutely not. Um, the contradictions to what we see in Fire Walk With Me are just too big. And obviously, if we have to choose a Scott Frost spin-off novel or a film directed by David Lynch and decide which one is canon, it's got to be the Lynch book. Um, also, as I, uh, I think mentioned when we talked about The Secret Diary of Laura Palmer, um, that one is the only one that Lynch has actually personally... Uh, endorsed, um, and uh, you know, as far as I'm concerned, while there are many important uh, participants in the Twin Peaks project, if uh, if Lynch isn't on board, it it's it's not canon.
1: I'll go since I'm going to directly contradict some of the things that David is saying, and yeah, I think that this is canonical, and I've read comic books for going on 30 years now, right, and so you know, the question of, like, is this continuity or is this canon, like, always comes up. And I think it, like, to me, I don't think it's a conversation that ever, like, ends up with, like, people feeling, like, happy with an answer one way or the other, right? Because on one hand, you have, like, people who are, like, gatekeepers, right? Oh, well, if so-and-so didn't create it, it's not canon, you know, but... Then you have people who read or watch something and, you know, you have to account for their emotional responses or, you know, like when I read this, like it made a lot of sense to me, like it helped unlock that that Cooper is just as much of a lonely character as like a lot of the other characters we see on Twin Peaks. And I think that's kind of like one of the theses of this book is that like, you know, this is a character who's searching for a place to belong to a place where he you know, feels like himself, and it ends with he arrives at Twin Peaks, right? So, and you know, when we see him get to you know the town, like you like you finally get Cooper who is himself, right? That like you know, kind of the fully like realized version of you know, who that character is supposed to be. So, I mean, it doesn't matter that like Lynch didn't write this to me and it doesn't matter that like they clearly like went with the Teresa Banks thing that gets like retconned as soon as the movie comes out. If you've read comic books, things get retconned all the time, man. And, and, you know, if you want to be a stickler about it and like try to, you know, no prize your way into a solution, that's on you, all right? Like, you you know, I think us, you know, you can be like, okay, cool. Like what we see in the movie is a heck of a lot better than like, you know, sort of the- you know, what we see here, right? And 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 that's fine. Both things can exist, right? You, you Just like Dan was saying, it's fun to imagine how Cooper would have, like, treated that situation, but it's clearly, I think, like, you know, not something that's there. So, you know, I'm always about, like, inclusivity or inclusivity when it comes to, you know, stuff that's canonical, unless it's, like, outright terrible or, like, disrespectful to a character, which I don't think this is, right? It's, you know, it's not, like, you know, you know, making Cooper, you know, be like, you know, some sex fiend or like, you know, some guy that we don't think that like he, you know, would normally be. So yeah, you know, it's canon. It like, it's probably minor Twin Peaks if you want to like, you know, like establish a level, but yeah, it's like, I think it's all part of the narrative and, you know, stuff that, you know, can help you understand things better. Is it essential?
2: Yeah.
1: You know, but yeah, I do think it's canon and part of the overall story.
0: Well, I don't have a, as, as uh, sophisticated or experienced a perspective as um, uh, either of, of those two views, but I'll, uh, I'll, I'll uh, split the Gordian knot here as best I can. Uh, and I'll do that by answering Damon's question by saying no and no, which is to say, no, it is not canonical, but no, it doesn't matter. so I agree with you, Damon, that there are uh, there are things in this book that can well, I don't know if you would agree with this, but but I I, I think there is a case to be made uh, to say, like, no, this isn't Twin Peaks canon. um, uh, um, Because of some of the uh, contrivances that we talked about and and sort of the opportunism that we kind of pick up on in a couple places. And I think, I think it could have more squarely landed in the canonical space. If it had really lived up to everything, it could be like, I could imagine uh, a book that becomes Canon because it is so well done. Uh, But this isn't that book. Um, And I agree with Jonathan for uh, all the reasons that he's saying. If, if um, you respond to something, you find it interesting, you're a fan, you're engaging with it, um, and it shows you enough to get you thinking about the character and maybe speculating and engaging with stuff that is clearly core Twin Peaks, then it is, uh, you know, if it if it doesn't make it, uh, you know, through the waiting room and into the into the Black Lodge, at least, you know, it it got to uh, Glastonbury Grove. And maybe that's all it needed to do was to, you know, maybe it's Pete's pickup truck that just got us as far as we needed as as it could with one tail light out. Um, so uh, I think you're both right. Uh, I kind of think you're both wrong, uh, <laughs> but uh peace and comfortable comfort- with being wrong
2: <laughs> i don't I don't think it matters if it's canon or not canon, so that would be my answer to that and And my silly response to this question, I think is why it deserves to be part of the canon. you know this we know that ABC reached out to Haverford College because they wanted to include a t-shirt or a sweatshirt um on the show since uh, Dale Cooper went to Haverford but we don't learn that until this book so i think that this book clearly has material that was meant to be part of the main narrative of twin peaks so i'm happy to have read it and happy to think of it as being part of the experience of twin peaks and i don't think it, there needs to be a canon
0: I would definitely concur that I'm glad I read it. I think it, it, it adds something to the reading wherever you land on it. And uh, you know, I think fans of Twin Peaks uh, should definitely give it a look. It won't take up a whole lot of your time. uh, And it has a few fun things in it. I think.
3: I'm going to, I think quote Jonathan here and say, I, you know, I think it's non-essential, but it's, definitely fun and i'm certainly glad that i read it yeah me too
1: i like i i enjoyed it a lot more than you set us up. Like, and, 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 you know, I was expecting something that was like, uh, this is going to be a drag or it's going to be like not great. And I wouldn't say it's great, but like, again, there's enough in here where I'm like, okay, like, like I enjoyed it. Like you know, there's you know, stuff about Cooper that I you know, never knew or didn't really consider. And, you know, you know, to me, it's like, Hey, like if it enhances your experience of the overall narrative, it's canon.
2: Testing, <laughs> testing, testing. This is the end of our dispatch based on the audio recordings of Dale Cooper. Thanks for joining us once again. Head over to backtothedoubler.com to hear our musings on every episode of the first two seasons of Twin Peaks, plus some bonus content. And stick around as we delve into the film Fire Walk with Me and several books before venturing into Twin Peaks The Return. The full schedule of upcoming episodes is on our website and remind your friends that they can tune in to Back to the Double R from the very beginning. And they're also invited to enjoy this experience wherever they consume their podcasts. We love turning on new listeners to this project that we love so much. Email us at backtotheDoubleR@gmail.com at to share your thoughts about the autobiography of FBI Special Agent Dale Cooper or about any other episode from the first two seasons of Twin Peaks. Please seek us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Yes, we are hungry for more follows. Pittsburgh, Silencio, thank you for supplying soundtrack perfection. Next week, we begin a, well, next episode, rather, we begin a two-part discussion of the film Fire Walk With Me. Be forewarned. For my co-hosts, Damon, Colin, and Jonathan, over and out.